0: On front page with me this morning is Pauline Wong, award-winning journalist. Good morning, Pauline. Good morning, Shash. Okay, well, low-cost airline giant Air Asia Group Berhad is seen as a successful airline operator with the capacity to save national carrier Malaysia Airlines Berhad from dying, quote-unquote dying, says veteran newsman Datu. A. Kadir (laughs) Jasin. And he was responding to a question on whether AirAsia could operate both a full fledged airline and a low cost one at the same time. This is um, after he suggested on his Facebook post last Friday that it is better for MAB to be married to AirAsia than to wantonly allow the iconic brand to die. Um, What are your thoughts on this? Is AirAsia the right, uh, I guess, organization to turn uh, Malaysia Airlines around?
1: Well, I suppose we should begin by putting this into context. So as a whole, the aviation industry has seen a decline as profits dip. I mean, due to rising fuel prices and stiffer competition, it suffers a lot, you know, as people become more affluent. Um, it suffers from increasing demand, but has been unable to keep up mostly because of the huge amount of costs involved in maintaining airplanes and running, uh, you know, flight routes. And so as consumers become more price sensitive and every airline tries to undercut each other, and airplanes being able airplane is very expensive, right? You know, they're expensive to maintain, mm-hmm. operate, and fly. And so it is in this context that now Malaysia, Malaysia Airlines finds itself, right? But the problem with Malaysia Airlines isn't as simple as getting Tony Fernandez to rescue it. Right. I mean, we've had CEOs come and try, right? Peter Balu. I hope I'm saying correctly mm-hmm. correctly. he tried to, um, but he resigned and much earlier than expected because he could not turn it around. So I think Malaysia Airlines needs to stop hoping that high-profile individuals will come in and rescue it. Instead, it should start thinking about its internal structure, take a hard look at itself and identify where its inefficiencies are and the mismanagement, because we've known of the mismanagement yes. for a number of years. You know, it needs to massively cut director salaries and at the same time raise morale of staff. You know, I've had experiences with Malaysia Airlines where they don't seem very motivated, mm-hmm. especially ground staff. Right. I mean, every respect to Kade Jasin. I think he's absolutely on point about not letting Malaysia Airlines as our national carrier die. But it's not enough to bank the reputation and the future of Malaysia's carrier Mm -hmm. on one individual. It has to be concerted. It has to be a government private effort.
0: Okay, now coming back to AirAsia, have they indicated any interest in kind of taking over Malaysia Airlines? I've. Well, you'll have to ask Tony Fernandez for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've not heard anything then? Uh, no, I have not. But I'm sure if he is interested, we'll hear about it on his Twitter. <laughs> okay. Um, what are your thoughts? Should Malaysia let go of our national carrier?
1: Oh, I, I would be very sorry if we did. Very sorry mm-hmm. indeed. I definitely don't want to see it shut down. But, I mean, they can't waffle about anymore. You know what I mean? Um, the hot truth is that it needs a massive overhaul. You know, and it's not enough to just get one CEO and come and it's it's not a silver bullet. It's not a
0: mm-hmm.
1: a one man can solve it all kind of thing. It has to be concerted. It has to be everybody who's actually all stakeholders you know, actually be involved in saving it. Or,
0: you know, the reality is it could get shut down. All right. Well, when we come back, we'll take a look at the Kuala Lumpur High Court dismissing an application from uh, Datuk Najib Raza for him to attend parliament. That was yesterday. Um, that's up next here on Light. With me on front page this morning's Pauline Wong, award-winning journalist. Let's take a look at this um, next headline. Court rejects Datuk Najit Razat's bid for a day off to attend Parliament. His lawyer, Muhammad Shafi Abdullah, had applied to the judge for deferment as it was critical that the accused be present at yesterday's sitting to vote on the issue of mandatory declaration of assets for MPs. And we know how that day in Parliament went. So, Pauline, as an MP, I mean, should you be given a day off to attend parliament if you are you know you've got bigger i guess uh issues to sort out i am always a little
1: skeptical about this let's just point out the obvious here mm-hmm. i think we all know nadib's poor record of attendance in parliament
0: well yeah exactly I think
1: that no one yeah no one's going to deny that he is out of parliament he's missing from parliament more often than he is in it mm-hmm. uh, while he was prime minister of course we there was Some leeway given, understandably, as he is Prime Minister. But let's just put it out there. He did, after all, uh, famously, to much criticism, take off to play golf with Obama back in uh, 2014 during the uh, nation's worst flooding crisis in Kelantan. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So for, for me personally, for him to suddenly want to attend parliament because it's super crucial... (laughs) <laughs> while he's facing a trial for the alleged mismanagement of billions of taxpayer money. Mm. Mm. I think it flies in the face of common decency, if you ask me. <laughs> all
0: right. Okay, well, there's been an update, yeah. as we all know. I mean, we're all following uh, what's going on in Parliament uh, pretty closely. And I guess Parliament has unanimously approved yeah. making MPs declare assets despite the heavy resistance. Um, did you manage to have a look at the reports coming out yesterday?
1: So. As far as I've been reading, they've actually approved to table the motion mm-hmm. to pave the way for mandatory declaration of assets. Right. So the, the actual law has not been debated yet, as far as I'm reading.
0: What would the <laughs> repercussions be for MPs who are non-compliant? I think that really depends on
1: what they, t- what they pass, um, if it should come to pass. It depends on what they pass in Parliament, mm-hmm. right? what, the, um, what the penalties are if they don't. But let's 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 backtrack a little bit and I might skirt on rustling a few feathers here. But we all know that many MPs on both sides of the divide would feel very uncomfortable if, you know, asset declaration were passed and made uh-huh. compulsory. I'm of o i am of i am of the opinion that, you know, any vote on asset declaration would not be very objective as there are far too many vested interests.
0: Yes. I am
1: however by the fact that the motion to even table it, Mm -hmm. you know, um, has been passed. I think um, any refusal to allow this to be debated in Parliament would look really bad on the Pakatan Harapan government because that was what they won the elections on. Yes, So they have to. But let's be real here. I think there are too many vested interests and whether or not it actually becomes law remains anyone's guess. And with the resistance that you'll find from the current opposition, you know, it may or may not come to pass.
0: All right. Well, coming up, U.S.-North Korea, the Trump and Kim uh, meeting. Uh, We'll be taking a look at that story next here on Light on Front Page with me this morning uh, Pauline Wong award-winning journalist let's take a look at the historic meeting between Donald Trump and um, North Korean Chairman Kim Jong-un they uh, you know this is pretty uh, cool TV (laughs) leaders posing Mm -hmm. for handshakes before talking for nearly an hour in the heavily fortified DMZ both countries have agreed to set up terms to resume stalled nuclear talks Pauline what does this mean for the relationship Relationship between U.S. and North Korea. After all, you know, this is the third time these two leaders have met.
1: I think I would start by saying I'm no expert in geopolitics, right? So I really can't add much more than a layman's perspective on this. Mm-hmm. So, and as a layman, I think it's it boils down to this, that if this meeting has the potential to resolve conflict rather than start it, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic that this meeting... Uh, would signal the end of the threat of nuclear warfare. I think, you know, when it comes to the relationship between the U.S. and North Korea, the only thing that I hope to see is a resolution of that threat of nuclear warfare. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Whether or not it means anything for their economic relations, I I really can't say.
0: Right. Do you think that, you know, the very great optics of Mr. Trump, you know, doing this historical thing uh, will help his re-election campaign? <laughs> when it comes to
1: Trump's reelection campaign, I think honestly it's anyone's guess. Let's track back again. Um, if in my line of work I've heard varying sides of the story, right? I, I I talk to economists a lot, and so social media, you know, especially if you're left leaning like I am, you know, you would social media would tell you that Trump is not going to be reelected, mm-hmm. right? Um, on the back of regressive abortion laws, like what happened. Um, recently in Alabama, I believe, or transphobic policies in the military where transgender people are now no longer allowed in the military, and rising inequality and homelessness. But the fact is, elections aren't only won on the backs of things like human rights or gender equality. You know, they are won on whether or not there's food on the table. Mm-hmm. And I've heard feedback from economists who say that despite Trump, the U.S. economy has grown. I mean, he could be lucky, of course, yeah. you know, that despite him, things are you know, plodding along in the U.S. But the Bloomberg report recently said that um, the U.S. is in a 10-year growth streak. And that's the longer it's seen from decades. Right. Unemployment is the lowest. It's been in 50 years, as of last year. So it boils down to whether ordinary Americans have food on their table. Well, whether Trump schmoozes with Kim isn't going to make much of a difference to that.
0: Right. When we come back, we'll be looking at PKR president at the Sri Anwar Ibrahim's uh, plea to please focus on GE fourteen promises. That's up next here on Light. On front page with me this morning is award-winning journalist Pauline Wong. Uh, Let's focus fully on Pakatan Harpan's efforts to carry out promises made to the people during the 14th general election, says PKR President Dato' Sri Anwar Ibrahim. He voiced his annoyance at media reports constantly focusing on the transition of power between Prime Minister Tun Dr. Mahathir Mohamad and himself. I mean, I guess he's not the only one who's kind of fed up with this back and forth. Yeah, people questioning it. Why are people so focused on the transition of power when the duo has already agreed that Tun M should stay on until most of the country's issues are solved? And this is coming from my
1: perspective, that I think a lot of people feel a transition would finally set in place a real Malaysia baru. I mean, it isn't a Malaysia baru when we have a PM lama in place. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Let's look ourselves in the eye and admit that to ourselves. I think that is why people are focused on the transition. It's not so much Anua It is a transition in itself. I think our nation, you know, needs young blood. It needs new blood, mm-hmm. and the old guard, Anwa included, needs to step aside for new blood. I think it's not so much an Anua thing as it is a we want a transition thing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? We desperately need a new way to, to to do politics. You know, I mean, as you've seen the recent sex scandal with 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 Azrin has shown that we 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 do need something new. We we need it to change. Okay, well, I I mean, I'm not sure how honest I can really be. But, you know, when it comes to Mahathir, I am no Dwight fan of Mahathir. I'd be the first to say to anyone who asks, I will be the first to remind everyone that he was behind some of Malaysia's greatest scandals. And may I remind everyone of just two words, Ops Lalang, right? As a journalist, I think this hits hard. This hits really hard. And Although I wasn't, you know, I was only born when it happened. I was, you know, not. Even, I think I was only young when it happened. But I feel like the the impact of Slalang on the media has been it has scarred the media forever. Mm-hmm. So these are the. I think a lot of people are aware of Mahathir's baggage. And aside from those who, you know, on 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 social media who are like, oh, you know, Mahathir and 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 are so cute, brilliant. I mean, I admire him. Rightly or wrongly, no one denies Mahathir's contributions to the nation. But I think people are calling for a transition to new blood rather than transition to Anwa. It's mm-hmm. not about Anwa anymore. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Do you have a favorite when you think about this new, you know, gang of politicians and leaders for the new Malaysia. I do, but you'll never get it out of me. Really? Okay. Well, coming up, we'll take a look at the highway takeover, which economists say will not burden the government's finances. That's up next here on Light. On front page with me this morning is award-winning journalist Pauline Wong. Now, the um, highway takeover will not burden the government's finances, says economists. while the government has given assurances that it doesn't have to fork out a single cent for the proposed buyout of four toll highways in the country. There are concerns whether the congestion charge model will be sufficient to offset the whopping takeover sum of 6.2 billion ringgit. Um, Pauline, how will this affect the finances of the country? It's a lot of money well, the country is knee-deep in debt,
1: of course it will burden the country. It's Mm. a huge sum of money. And I think, from what I understand, this takeover of the highways is in order to fulfill the Pakatan Harapan promise that all tolls will be abolished. Yeah. Right? Yes. So obviously, they want to abolish tolls, so the best way to do it is to take over the highways because otherwise they had to pay compensation, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course, the compensation, as we all know it, is a result of the lopsided and cronyistic deal signed with the concessionaires during, you guessed it, Mahathir time. (laughs) Yes. So, let's think about it carefully, right? Mm -hmm. When the Pakatan Harapan government promised to abolish tolls, I think Malaysians didn't see that we're still going to pay the toll. We're not paying the toll, we're not beeping past it, but we're still paying for it because it's coming from taxpayer money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Malaysians are still paying toll even if they're not paying toll because we're paying with it with our taxpayer money. And no matter what happens, the taxpayer always loses and it will burden the country's finances, especially when already we've had to cancel some mega projects, including MIT project, yes, mm-hmm. which I really don't see the rationale between the rationale of buying over a highway when that money should have been used to continue the MIT project. Yeah. You know what? In all fairness, I think the current administration is simply trying to make the best of these lopsided deals. Mm-hmm. Okay? But there are other issues when it comes to highways. In fact, you know, you know, road management for that matter. Highways take a lot of money to maintain. A heck of a lot of money to yes. maintain. Who are maintaining? it if not the government wants to buy it back? So if I understood it correctly, the tolls were aimed to one, make up back for the money that the concessions, you know, uh, spent on building those highways, right? Because it was all part of the whole public-private partnership thing that, you know, the government had going on where private companies and concessions built the highways and then they maintained it for the government because the government, you know, it was, it was one of those things that happened in the 90s. It was popular that way, right? Yeah. So it takes a lot of money to maintain. So the toll was meant to, one, maintain the maintain the highways, Make up back the money that the, the company, the concessions spent on building it. And if they don't charge the toll, which is used to maintain the highway, will the highway be maintained? Mm-hmm. Right? Will there be work- works? Will there be repairs? So if the government has taken over it for a huge sum of money, but then it's run out of money to maintain it, can you imagine what will happen? Yeah. You know, God forbid it collapses or something cracks. So there is more than just oh, let's take over the toll and let's, you know, abolish tolls. There is more to consider than just that.
0: All right. Well, you've made some very valid points, Pauline. Thank you very much for joining me this morning, Pauline.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Pauline Wong, award-winning journalist,